This is The Blunt Doctor Show on a Wednesday. And it is honestly a sad Wednesday because I, I keep... Life is good. My team won the Super Bowl. Things are going well for me personally. But we keep having to talk about people that we have lost in the industry. Um, Marty Schottenheimer passing away is sad. Chris Wessling passing away is shocking. Pedro Gomez passing away is shocking. Therese Paler passing away is shocking. It, uh, it's all sad, shocking, horrendous. I don't even know. Like, all of those are so sad. It's all so sad. It's all so sudden. It's so shocking. I just, I don't even know. I don't have... I don't know. It hurts, man. Um, Therese Paler's a really good guy, a Chiefs beat writer, who is someone who you could always look to to get like really great information on the Chiefs. Chris Wessling and, and Pedro Gomez were both the ESPN reporters. Uh, actually, excuse me, Chris Wessling was, a, I think, an NFL.com reporter. Uh, it doesn't matter. They were just well respected members of the media. And I was planning to just talk about Marty Schottenheimer and, you know, some of his, you know, career moments. But it just, it's this just, I don't, I don't know how much of this is related to the pandemic. You know, a couple of them had other illnesses and I don't know if those things were exacerbated or any of that. I don't know, but I just, the sheer number of people that we have lost that are visible to us. And the fact that those numbers are higher, coinciding with the number of people dying from a pandemic being much higher than, say, dying from the flu on an average basis. It's just, it's so hard. Like, it's getting hard to, it's just, it's tough to discuss these things. And it's hard to care only about sports when so many, you know, there's still so many other things. I mean, when, when, when Tom Brady first went to the Patriots, I was like upset, obviously, and I was frustrated and I planned to root for both teams, which I did, but I felt like I was being a bad person or something by, you know, wanting to root for Tom Brady in Tampa Bay or whatever. And then, you know, the pandemic and the civil rights movement, essentially, and everything that happened last year occurred and you just realize, like, well, you know what? Who cares? It's a football game. I can root for whoever I want and I can watch whatever I want because it just doesn't matter that much it's just a game it's just something that we like to enjoy for these guys it's their job it's just it's not it's less important than everything else going on and so again I implore again I don't know what effect COVID had on all of this but it's just hard not to look at a population being weakened by a pandemic and then look at the number of people that we have lost in sports media recently and not see that those things are somehow, I mean, they at least look correlated. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's a crazy coincidence. I don't know. But it just, please be careful. Please be safe. And, you know, Marty Schottenheimer, you know, he, most of his, coaching was before my time I do you know the biggest thing I remember with him was the 2006 Chargers Patriots divisional game where you know the Patriots came back and beat the Chargers he was a really good coach though um Chris Wessling you know I've listened to him on a podcast and I've read him a few times Pedro Gomez I, I don't really know very well I believe he was maybe a baseball reporter I honestly don't know um 
Therese Paler is someone I really, I read a lot of his articles, even though I don't like the Chiefs. Like, he's just a, was a really good writer and was a really good storyteller, and he had great information. And I just, this is sad, man. It's just sad. It's so, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, and I'm not trying to bum everyone out. It just, it's just sad when there are really good voices in the sports world that we lose that are not only great voices about sports, but just good people. And that keeps happening and it sucks. And it just really sucks. And so Marty Schottenheimer, Chris Wessling, Pedro Gomez, Therese Paler, Seiko Smith recently as well. Just rest in peace to all of them. On the flip side, in terms of something while still negative, but something that doesn't make me sad, but makes me angry is this Chad Wheeler situation with the Seahawks. And I want to talk about this for a few minutes. What this guy did to his girlfriend is horrendous. He deserves to be in jail for the rest of his life. It's attempted murder. He's a piece of shit. He's human garbage. There's no question about that. But as a person with bipolar disorder, I have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And as a person with bipolar disorder, His bipolar disorder had nothing to fucking do with this. This is the thing that makes me so angry about this is that every single time a crime is committed, someone says, oh, well, I have manic depressive, you know, I'm manic depressive or I have bipolar disorder or they just blame it on their mental illness. And then those of us who actually have those mental illnesses get a stigma put on us like we might flip out and do something. This is why I hated the movie Midsummer. Because, spoiler alert, Midsummer opens with a bipolar girl saying she's killing herself and taking her mom and dad with her. Which is, again, it just doesn't work that way. That's not how these diseases work. They don't make you suddenly violent. Bipolar disorder means sometimes you're really happy and sometimes you're really sad. So sometimes you want to get in the car and drive to Vegas and bet on a game. And sometimes you can't get out of bed and go to work. That's what bipolar disorder is like. It doesn't suddenly make you violent. It doesn't suddenly make you want to throw things. You know what suddenly makes you violent? Conditioning your body for sudden violence to play football. Taking so many hits to the head that you are no longer able to function as a human and you only know how to perform rage attacks because the game has destroyed you. That is something that makes you violent. Being sad and then happy is not something that makes you violent. I've never had an outburst of violence. I have known many other people uh, who have bipolar disorder who have never had outbursts of violence like this. It's just nonsense. It's not, it's just, it has nothing to do with that. So I just, it frustrates the hell out of me when this guy is trying to use this as an excuse and he's like, oh, I thought I killed her. I just had an episode. I'm just mentally ill. That's not what mental illness is. That's not what this does to you. It's complete bullshit. And it's just incredibly frustrating that he somehow is continuing to get away with making this insinuation that he can't be held responsible because of that. So whatever he did has everything to do with him and nothing to do with a disorder that has nothing to do with this sort of thing. Being bipolar does not make you attempt murder. That's just a ludicrous, a ludicrous idea. And those of us who have actually been through it become stigmatized and, you know, people look at us differently because this guy wants to commit a crime and then, you know, and then just throws it on us and says, oh no, it's because I'm bipolar. No, it's not. 
You know, this guy literally plays a profession every day where it's his job to be violent and nobody wants to look at that. They want to look at something that millions of us suffer through without doing any of this. It's complete bullshit. It's garbage. And look at him as a person. Look at what he does. Don't look at something that all of us share that it just it's so frustrating for those of us who have bipolar disorder, who are just you're laying in bed and you can't get out of bed because you're really sad or you're just having a good day and you're driving around listening to music. It's just, and things change. Some, some of us it's slow burn for me. It's rapid cycling. I get up, I get down, I get up, I get down. It happens quickly, but nowhere in there is I'm trying to kill people. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just, they're not related. And they need to look at who that guy is, not some bullshit disorder disorder claim that he probably doesn't even have. So just for those of us who have bipolar disorder, I call shenanigans. I call bullshit. It's garbage. Chad Wheeler, this is on you, not on not on a disorder, whether or not you have it. It's not on that. This is on you. You did this and you need to be punished for this. And you should not be punishing and stigmatizing those of us who have been uh, diagnosed with something simply because you can't handle the fact that you committed a violent crime. Keeping on the serious subjects, which of unfortunately there are many, the national anthem situation. The Mavericks had stopped playing the national anthem before their games. No one had even noticed. Then they announced that they had stopped playing the national anthem, and then the NBA stepped in to make them play the national anthem. It's stupid. The National Anthem has nothing to do with sports. It doesn't need to be played before games. And the simple fact of the matter is that the fact that the song contains racist bars later in the verses that we don't sing, the fact that that makes many people uncomfortable, the fact that many people are are uncomfortable with having to celebrate national pride at every sports game, the fact that many black athletes are uncomfortable with the anthem as a protest of police brutality because celebrating an allegiance to a country that doesn't respect you makes no sense. All of those things together should have told the NBA what side of this to come down on. They should have simply allowed teams to make their own decisions. And yet again, when the NBA has an opportunity to lead, somehow, despite being the most progressively league, they failed here. This is a failure by Adam Silver. This is one, this one is off the goalpost. This is stupid. This is a, I just, this is an idiot move. To have the Mavericks say that they want to take a stand for social justice by not playing the anthem when the whole league was about social justice all last summer, and then to say that, no, they can't do that. Like, what if their players voted for them to do that? What if their players didn't want the anthem? And you're suddenly telling them, no, they have to have it. And, you know, maybe there was some complaints from people in Texas because it's Texas and, you know, there's a, you know, a staunchly conservative population or something. I don't know. But the simple fact of the matter is that the national anthem has literally nothing to do with sports. Basketball is an international game that's played in tons of countries all around the world. It may have, you know, maybe it's predominantly loved here or something, but basketball is an international game. It's not a national game. There's no reason to play the national anthem before games. Allegiance to your country, which shouldn't even be a thing, by the way. You should never hold allegiance to a government. That makes no sense. 
we have been brainwashed with the idea of patriotism being a good thing to the point that our children stand up and pledge allegiance to a flag. It's absolutely ludicrous. All of these things are ludicrous. We are simply citizens of this planet, and we should not be brainwashed into believing that somehow everything that is nationalized and patriotized and made into rah-rah America is a good thing. Those are not good things. We don't need the national anthem before games. It just It's a ludicrous idea. It's stupid. It's dumb. We don't need two national anthems before hockey games. It just all of this is... It's... <sighs> We need to divorce ourselves from the idea that every single sports game is a moment to, to, you know, brainwash the people into believing, you know, if you're mad about athletes taking a kneel, for example, then stop playing the national anthem. Like, if you're mad about athletes bringing politics into sports, stop making them deal with politics right before the game. The national anthem is a political thing, whether or not it's left-leaning or right-leaning, whatever. It's political in its very nature. Putting that into a game is then politicizing the game. So if you don't want them to make a statement against the national anthem, don't put it there. It's so simple. And, you know, the NBA has had a lot of opportunities to take the lead. And in many cases, they are the most progressive uh, league but they've fallen on their face a few times, telling players what they couldn't couldn't wear on the back of their jerseys. They keep telling guys where they can and can't go. They're now, you know, telling teams that they have to play the anthem. They're making mistakes right now. Adam Silver is falling victim to the very loud talking right wing that is a smaller percentage of people than he realizes. And, you know, if you're going to stop going to NBA games because they don't play the national anthem, then you're probably the kind of person that we don't want at NBA games anyway, because you're probably an asshole and we don't really care about you and we don't want you at NBA games anyway, because we're sick of assholes. Putting the national anthem into a game is politicizing the game. Those players then have the right to make every political statement they want. And even if you didn't put the national anthem there, they still have the right to make the political statement because they have a platform and you don't. So just shut up. Just shut up about all of these things. Let's just put the national anthem away and let's just go about our business. I'm sick of hearing about the national anthem. It's not even, I mean, it's not even a good song. Some comedian made the point. I don't know who it was. It's like, it's not like you're playing the national anthem. I don't know who it was. Anyway, the point is, let's get over this. Now let's move on to the good things. One really good thing, Devin Booker gets an ESPN cover story. Just talking about his, you know, his life becoming a legendary baller. Um, was done really well. I hesitate to give ESPN credit, of course, because of all of the bullshit lies they've told in the past about the Patriots and Tom Brady. But in this case, they really did a great job. Michael Wilbon killed it. Um, and, you know, I encourage you to go read the article. You know, again, it's the ESPN cover story and it just it's online and it just covers books, life, his rise. And, you know, just essentially you know, why Kobe Bryant loved him. And, you know, I said this in a previous episode and it's the truth. Book is the closest dude to Kobe Bryant in the league right now. Go watch the way Kobe played. It's not like Kobe was a dead-eyed three-point shooter. Booker is a very good three-point shooter, but, you know, his career averages are a little below where you think they are, but he's still a very good three-point shooter. He was a high-volume shooter on a bad team for a long time. That stuff can happen. But 
it's the footwork, it's the post game, it's the, you know, in the article, I think Eddie Johnson calls it the science of scoring. And, you know, Kobe, you know, talked about his footwork and just, it, obviously it was things people had heard. Kobe said, obviously they couldn't have interviewed Kobe for this story. But the point is that it's just a really good article about why Booker is good, what drives him. And seriously, he is the closest thing to Kobe Bryant in this league. He just, the way he plays, you know, a lot of people have forgotten how different the game was even 10 years ago. Um, and just the explosion of three pointers and, you know, the game turning into, you know, everything you do is about getting as many three pointers as possible. You know, the game just didn't used to be that way. And Devin Booker is a guy who, who would have had great success in the nineties. He's having great success. Now, Devin Booker is a player who could have played in any era and he would have been awesome. You know, he, he fits in anywhere. And so it's, it's pretty sweet um, to see him getting, you know, this level of, of national coverage, because, you know, truthfully, um, you know, he was getting no coverage in the first few years when he was playing incredible basketball, but the Suns were losing because everyone around him wasn't even an NBA player. If you go look at the first few years of Devin Booker's career, seriously, like there were a lot of people there who were not even NBA players, guys who had no business even being in the league. And many of them were starting for the Suns at times. And so while, you know, he certainly had flaws and imperfections in his game earlier in his career, um, not that there aren't flaws and imperfections now. I'm just saying, you know, he was a much more flawed player when he was younger, but the guys who were playing around him just, you know, they really had no business. And the Suns have finally course corrected as an organization and his career will be a case study in, you know, wasting years of, you know, superstar development. Granted, you know, he got to do everything he wanted for years and, you know, learned how to lead a team and, you know, learned what losing does and, you know, learned about coach changes. But he learned a lot. Unfortunately, it was negative things. But nonetheless, now he has a good organization around him. He's the unquestioned face of the franchise. He's been there forever. He's the longest tenured player on the team at this point. In some ways, it's worked out. And just as a fan of, you know, Devin Booker and the Suns, it's awesome to see that finally, you know, other people are, you know, coming around to realizing that, hey, you know, the bubble wasn't just some fluke or whatever, you know, Devin Booker's really good. I wish that, you know, more people would see it. But, you know, the good thing is we've been on the national TV stage more this season. There have been a lot more Suns games on national TV. And, you know, that's helped people to see how good the team is and how good they can be. And right now, you know, tonight is another big one against the Bucks. Um, I'm definitely going to do uh, another pod probably tomorrow. You know, I want to talk about that game. Um, Drew Holiday is not playing, I saw. But nonetheless, um, Suns and Bucks is always a good one. Um, Suns actually play the Bucks pretty well. They beat them a few times in the last few years, including one game I went to in person with my man Keith Strader. What up, Keith? In any case, glad to see Booker getting the recognition that he has deserved for a while. Other news, something interesting. It kind of seems like Russell Wilson maybe wants a trade or would be open to a trade. There have been like a lot of interviews and articles about interviews and discussions. And one of them was like on the Dan Patrick show. And it seems like Russell Wilson isn't exactly thrilled with Seattle. Now, I don't know how much of this is just smoke to get them to listen, but he definitely said that he wants 
you know, the power to have some control over the roster or have some input in the way that, you know, he mentioned Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's really interesting. You know, Russell Wilson has never really been one to shy away from hinting. Um, You know, there was a time when he was in one interview when he was up for contract negotiations where he hinted at something. And I don't remember the exact number he said, but he hinted at like 30 million a year or some number. He just like dropped a hint basically as far as what he was looking for in his contract extensions. And so he has never been one that would... You know, he'll drop some hints for you there. He'll leave crumbs. You know, he's not going to just do the Patriot way thing of saying nothing and, you know, trying to give the media nothing. He'll leave you a trail of breadcrumbs and, you know, you choose to follow them or not. But I do think that, you know, just seeing what we've seen with Russell Wilson and how these things have gone with the Seahawks in the last few years, as he has become one of the better quarterbacks in the league and the defense has gotten worse, you know, it's it's interesting. Now, we do have to mention he's one of the top quarterbacks, top paid quarterbacks in the league. If you have one of the top paid quarterbacks in the league, you obviously have less money to go around at other positions. So there are scenarios which you could say, hey, Russ, you know, maybe you need to, you know, take a slight pay cut like Tom Brady did and blah, blah, blah. There are people who will say that. But if you're Russell Wilson, you look at the other scenarios and say there are plenty of guys who have had top dollar and won the Super Bowl and I want to be one of those guys. And, you know, the whole thing about, well, you should take a pay cut for the team, like really truthfully, it's the team's problem. If you only care about winning, maybe you do it. But if the team had drafted better, maybe they wouldn't be in that position anyway. You know, if you can win with a quarterback on a rookie contract, surely should you should be able to win with, you know, a pair of corners on a rookie contract or, you know, a defensive line on rookie contracts or something to that effect. There should be if if the rookie quarterback contract can be used to your advantage, then surely there's a way to find multiple cheaper rookie contracts in the second and third rounds and find ways to turn those into players who are good enough to help you win. That's the job, right? That's really your job as 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 a general manager once you've found your star quarterback is find ways to plug in the holes in the later rounds. So, you know, and that's how it was done forever, really before Tom Brady, you know, started taking pick. And Tom Brady has just always been willing Save for the one time going into lockout, he had the largest contract ever. But, you know, he's pretty much always been willing to move money around and make changes for the team. Who knows, you know, what Russell Wilson's willingness to do that would be based on other players. But he certainly has said he wants input. Now, if he were to say, you know, I'll give back X money and you give me more input, you know, I'll give you $5 because I want this player or something. And the Seahawks said no to that, then they're being idiots. You know, Russell Wilson has ascended to being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So if they're not amenable to like anything that he wants, really, regardless of whether or not he, you know, wants to give them money, they're idiots. Like, I, I just, I, I think that Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm a big time believer in him. His ability to break out of the pocket, avoid the sack, and then make a big play downfield is second to none. Nobody else in the NFL is able to do what he can do on a broken play. It's like college football. Um, now, maybe he's not the best just out of the pocket or whatever, but we saw what he was doing earlier in this season. So maybe get him the right offensive line and the right coordinator. Maybe things change a little bit, but I will say this. If the Seahawks are entertaining the idea of trading Russell Wilson, that's stupid as hell. I know that his game may age in 
you know, his game may not age perfectly given that he's smaller, he does run around, but he's still so athletic. He's still only 30. We're looking at what Tom Brady does right now. You know, I think the idea of giving up on Russell Wilson is completely premature and completely stupid. And the Seahawks need to, you got to give this thing a minimum of three more seasons. And, you know, if he wants to leave in free agency eventually, maybe let him do that. But I just, I can't, the, the Seahawks need to think very carefully. Look at how Russell Wilson was playing early this season. Look at the small demands he's asking and just find ways to make it happen because you probably can make it happen without, you know, Peyton Manning didn't take pay cuts. You know, you don't need to, no one, and I don't know if anyone has suggested this. I just know that it's going to be in the ether that some people will suggest that. In any case, I just think whatever the Seahawks need to do, job one needs to be keep Russell Wilson because we all know how difficult it is to get a quarterback. Look at where the Seahawks were, you know, for the years in between Matt Hasselbeck and Russell Wilson. You know, it's just, it's difficult when you don't have a starting quarterback. And so you've already achieved job number one. Just find the cheap contracts to put around him. Give him the opportunity to make a couple of selections of players. It's the right move. And if the Seahawks want to move on from Russell Wilson, then I I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and speculate on, you know, trade possibilities because the thing about the NFL right now is that there are so many potential moves. I mean, I sat here and I said, these would be good teams for Matt Stafford. And look at, look at what happened. You know, one of the teams, the team he got traded to wasn't even one I mentioned. You know, I think the Patriots would be a team that would be very interested in Russell Wilson. You might be able to engineer some sort of Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson swap. Although, you know, God help Russell Wilson if he, you know, gave up his no trade clause for that. I bet Deshaun Watson would, but I bet Russell Wilson would not. Um, you know, I don't know if he could go to Miami for Tua or something. I mean, I'm sure there are, that one might be interesting, actually. I'm sure there are trades out there, but. Until we actually hear a trade demand, you know, there's really no point because, you know, this NFL offseason is going to be so fluid. Who the hell knows? Moving to gambling. I'm just jumping through topics. Like I said, I had a whole boatload of things I want to talk about today. I'm just flying through these topics because there's many. Um, But this is an interesting one that I've wanted to cover and I keep not covering it because of well, I lost a couple times, but in any case, I want to talk about why I love this particular prop bet, and it is the points, rebounds, and assists prop bet. If you've played fantasy uh, basketball, it's almost like um, a one-person fantasy game, but in any case, points, rebounds, and assists props are essentially you're choosing over or under a you know, specific amount of points, rebounds, and assists combined for any given player that is available. So, for example... I made a few of them yesterday, um, and I made um, well. I made two different PRA bets and one RA bet. So PRA points, rebounds, and assists. One RA bet, RA rebounds and assists. In any case, I picked Jeremy Roach uh, playing for Duke to have uh, over twelve and a half points, rebounds, and assists. He had sixteen points, two rebounds, two assists. So I won. Took Myrie and Jones. Uh, coming off a one for nine game from Penn State to get over 17 and a half points, rebounds, and assists, but um, he had a bad first half. He ended up with 15 points and I think one board, so he came up just short. But in any case, the reason I love this prop so much is because, again, you're basically playing fantasy and you're looking for a player matchup that's really good for you and you're not really concerned about the outcome of the game. Now, Of course, how the game flows can affect the outcome of your individual player's performance, of course. But 
you know, spread doesn't matter. You know, who actually wins doesn't matter. You know, like a last second shot doesn't affect you, those kind of things. So the other one I took, the rebounds and assist prop, uh, was Donovan Mitchell over nine rebounds and assists. So this is a perfect example. Um, I should have taken points, rebounds, and assists. Um, I kind of got in my own head about it because Mike Conley was out. And so I figured he was going to be close to double-digit assists and would grab a couple rebounds and would go over it easily. But he also scored like 30-plus points, so I should have just taken the points, rebounds, and assists because it was over 35 and a half. But either way, whatever I had done, and in the future, I'm pretty much only going to take points, rebounds, and assists. But either way, the point was... Donovan Mitchell playing in a nationally televised game against the Celtics with Mike Conley out is going to have to play a lot of point guard. Now, is Joe Ingles going to play some point guard in that scenario? Sure. And did he? Yes. But Donovan Mitchell also had, I think, like seven or eight assists. So uh, it was an easy over for him. It would have been easy over for the points as well. But essentially, I was betting on Donovan Mitchell in a game where his backcourt partner was out to have a really good game in a nationally televised game against the Celtics, which they did, and they won. And those kind of games, you know, you can find those matchups. And, you know, they don't always work out in your favor, but given the way that we know NBA players love to play on national television, and given the way that um, we know that NBA offense is guard-centric, um, in many cases at least, you want to look for a guy with the ball in their hands in a nationally televised game, those scenarios, you get a lot of really good overs on the points, rebounds, and assists. I recently took one that was like 30-something for John Wall, and, you know, he got there. Oladipo got his as well. Those nationally televised games do really well, I'm telling you. But, you know, check out the points, rebounds, and assists. For me, another reason I do it is because I can't play Daily Fantasy in Arizona yet. It's obnoxious that we can't play Daily Fantasy in Arizona yet. It's coming. But since you can still bet online here and do, you know, online gambling and do, you know, prop betting, that's where I end up with the the points, rebounds, and assists. But it's good because, you know, if a guy with a guard, for example, you never know when they're going to go off and have 10 assists, you know, and maybe they only score 20. But if you bet a prop bet for them to score 25 points, then you get screwed because they were passing all night. So that's really the kind of thing is you never know when a guy might be in the mood to pass or be in the mood to score. So the points, rebounds, and assist prop just basically lets you bet on this guy to have a good game through whatever means it may be. You know, a guy like Nikola Jokic, it can be hard to do his points, rebounds, and assists because, uh, you know, it's so high. It's like, you know, 50 and so if he has any sort of off game, you know, you you may not get it. So it can be tough to find. But I look for guards who have the ball in their hand in a nationally televised game. And if someone on their team is injured and they're going to have an additional load and get an additional five or six shots, that's, that's good as well. And I went two of three on those yesterday. I'm going to be looking at a couple more today. I'll go over those tomorrow. And I'll probably at a certain point start moving, you know, daily picks. I think I'm going to start doing Bluntstradamus picks because I couldn't get enough of just doing stupid character things. So Blunstradamus will start making points, rebounds, and assist picks, um, because they're really honestly fun. Um, and it's actually, I think, Eberly, Josh Eberly does a lot of those. Well, he posts his lines of the night, but sometimes he points, posts what he thinks uh, you know teams will be doing on points, rebound or a player will be doing on points, rebounds, and assists as well. It's one of his favorite props as well, I know. Speaking of... That Celtics-Jazz game. You know, the interesting thing about that game as far as 
I mean, Donovan Mitchell was awesome, obviously. And I've made, I've talked a lot of shit about Donovan Mitchell on Twitter over the years, but truthfully, he's a really good player. Um, and he really does, his bubble leap seems real. You know, I, I talked at one point on this show about how Jamal Murray's bubble leap, you know, really hasn't carried over into this season. He's had games where he's been good. You know, he's had games where he's still clutch, but you know, the inconsistency that we've seen with Jamal Murray in the past where, you know, some nights it's 14, some nights it's 34 and you're just kind of, you know, he's a very good player, but he's maybe not as good in the regular season as he is in the playoffs. Um, you know, that kind of thing. We've seen that, but Donovan Mitchell's leap has been real. He's gone to the next level and. And by the way, as far as Jamal Murray goes, being better in the playoffs is always good, but you know, you also want to have better playoff seating, so you gotta be good in the regular season too. In any case, Donovan Mitchell has gone to a new level. And, you know, the Jazz are, you know, the Jazz are tearing it up right now. And I've been skeptical of the Jazz because we've seen them do a lot in the regular season, and you know, then it kind of turns out to me not a whole lot. But one thing that's a little bit different about this Jazz team right now is that even if they don't have like a one B option. Like, we know Donovan Mitchell is their 1A option on offense. He's, I don't know if he's, I mean, he's probably a, a number one option on a championship team. Maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, he's not quite as good as, say, Devin Booker. He's still a very good player, but he's not as good of a passer as Devin Booker. He's not as good of a shooter as Devin Booker. Um, he's still a very good player. But I, if if he's not a 1A championship option, he's, like, right below it. But what the Jazz have behind him Maybe they don't have another guy who's incredibly good on that level, but they've got a bunch of guys who are very good. When you have Mike Conley, Bohan Bogdanovich, and Joe Ingles all playing at like plus levels, and then Jordan Clarkson is actually being a force for good instead of a, you know, defensive black hole, they've got a lot of offense behind Donovan Mitchell that allows them to keep things afloat when he's having an off night or when he's on the bench. And that lets Rudy Gobert just, you know, play defense, you know, set screens, cut to the basket, play defense, you know, and he doesn't have to try to do anything else. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really working in Utah. And this might be the first time that they really have the potential to get to the Western conference finals. I don't know if they really pose a threat to the Lakers, but they have the potential to get, there much, you know, the, for all that I've been saying about the Suns have the potential to get to the Western Conference Finals, so do the Jazz. And the Jazz have the record to back that up more than the Suns do right now. But the Jazz are just showing, um, I mean, they've just done a really good job building a team. Conley has finally come around and is really fitting in. He's playing really well this season. Bogdanovich has returned from his injury and he's looking more and more like himself. He hasn't been perfect, but he's been good. Um, Ingles is in and out of, you know, the starting lineup, but he just continues to, he has really good pick and roll chemistry with Derek Favors. And now that Favors is back, that helps their bench units. Um, you know, him being willing to accept a bench role was a big deal too. Overall, I, you know, this Jazz team is just good. They're deep. They've got a lot of really good players. I don't know if they have quite enough. Um, they're a little bit like, Mike Budenholzer's Hawks teams, but those teams never had a player as good as Donovan Mitchell. And so that's where, you know, you look at them and you say, okay, are they, do they have the potential to upset the Lakers? I mean, this is basketball. There are plenty of upsets that have occurred. You know, there are plenty of things that we thought were completely impossible that have occurred. So, yeah, I mean, they have an, you know, a, a five or 10% chance of, of beating the Lakers, but I do think, I, you know, I think that the Jazz are going to be 
I don't think it's going to be the early playoff exit this time. I really think we're going to have a Final Four in some form or another of Lakers, Clippers, Jazz, and Suns. I think those are going to be the four. I think the Nuggets, as good as Nikola Jokic is, he's playing like an MVP. The team around him is not. And unless they want to go all in and bring in Bradley Beal or do one other thing I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, unless the Nuggets make a move, I think they're going to be left on the outside of that. Um, the Jazz are just good. Um, and by the way, on Jordan Clarkson, I you know, I kind of liked that trade for them at first. Then, you know, looking at him on defense, I was like, oh, I don't like this. And then I didn't really like the contract they gave him. But overall, like, he seems to be a really good fit for them. He seems to be exactly what they want. Like, they want him to just be a guy who goes out there and just tries to get buckets. Like, they just want him to be an offensive spark plug. And he, you know, he just has the green light to just shoot all the time. And that's what he wants. And, you know, that kind of guy, that sort of Lou Williams off the bench bench role can be really useful for a team that, you know, doesn't have as, um, you know, again, they don't have a 1B guy. You know, they have, let's, and obviously that this is not, I understand this is a stupid comparison, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell is their LeBron. They don't have an Anthony Davis. So having a bunch of a bunch of really good players who can do the job behind him without necessarily having that one guy, you know, it protects you from anyone having an off night and it help, helps protect you if Mitchell has an off night. And the Jazz are just good and deep. And they're certainly better than I anticipated. And watching the game last night, it's hard. It's hard not to see them getting far in these playoffs. And and it's, I really, you know, they could be someone who pose a major threat to the Clippers. They might just take the Clippers right out. Um, who knows? Um, it's it's just going to be, it's going to be interesting. Of course, all this will depend on how the seedings shake out, but it kind of looks like it would be maybe like Lakers, Jazz, Clippers, Suns, somewhere in there. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. Do they all even make it? To those top four seeds, does someone fall? You know, do 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 the Suns come back to earth at all? Do the Clippers come back to earth? Do the Jazz come back to earth? It's just going to be interesting to see. We know the Lakers are going to be, you know, in the top one or two spots, but it will be interesting to see aside from them what happens. But as far as, you know, the Clippers being the best team to take on the Lakers, I don't know if that's true anymore. I think the Jazz and the Suns are starting to creep up as, legitimate threats i'm not so sure about the clippers right now we'll see it's everyone says and they're right that the clippers need a point guard like a real point guard and everyone says that i'm not bringing that to light i'm not inventing that information and i think that those people are correct and i'm starting to wonder as far as boston goes this game this game was interesting like they're kind of middling right now but so is the whole east like the space between two and seven is like a game. It's it's kind of crazy, um, but it, it does feel like they're just going to struggle until Marcus Smart comes back because he does he fills everything for them. You know he's sort of the secondary point guard. He defends all over the place. You know from you know the perimeter to the post. I'm not saying he's a rim protector, but he's he's actually a hell of a post defender. Um, you know, he's a good rebounder. He's a good passer. He has nights where he can shoot the hell out of the ball. He's a streaky shooter, but he has his days and he just fills so many gaps for them. And while they're having to play Jeff Teague and, you know, all these other guys, so many minutes, they're going to continue to struggle. And I really like the fit of Kemba Walker 
Um, I really did, but it does seem, I don't know at this point, like it does seem like they're spending so much money on Kemba Walker essentially being a shooter, you know, a guy who comes off screens and shoot, and he's very good at that. And I'm not, you know, it's, it's not that, and he can do other, he can get to the rim and Kemba can get his own shot. He's very good. But given the way that Tatum and Brown have ascended, you've paid essentially at this point, you're paying the most money to a player who is third in your offense and who on some nights becomes fourth when Marcus Smart is there. I mean, Kemba Walker is always an option ahead of Marcus Smart in terms of, you know, the pecking order in the offensive rotation. But there are nights when Smart is just a bigger player and Kemba Walker, especially in the playoffs, gets a little drowned out. And so Smart is having a better, you know, game shooting wise. We saw that a lot in the playoffs last year. So I was a proponent of the Kemba Walker signing when it originally happened because I thought he fit in with what the Celtics wanted to do and how they wanted to play. But I am a little... I'm a little hesitant right now. I've been, you know, I've been a big fan of Boston. We know that Tatum and Brown are awesome. We know that they're the future. But, you know, I see people make jokes about, you know, Kemba Walker needing to be traded. And I'm starting to wonder if that's actually true. I don't think that you could get, you know, any kind of good value for him or something. Um, Your best case scenario might be just trying to do the best you can to just dump his contract on someone this summer who's desperate to, you know, get a name or something because there'll be, you know, a few teams with cap space and, you know, most of the stars have already resigned. But, you know, as far as that signing having originally been good for them, you know, when Gordon Hayward was around and you just had so many guys, you know, adding every name made sense. But now looking at the way it's shaking out, I just, I don't know. It's, you know, and maybe I'll just be proven wrong. Maybe when Smart comes back, the whole offense gets back to humming. The defense is solid. Tyson, Tristan Thompson, you know, man the center position well. And, and they pose, a, you know, a threat in the East. There's still a possibility for the Celtics to be the team that comes out of the East. Even if it's unlikely, Tatum and Brown give them the ability to defend the Nets better than maybe anyone can. We still know that they have success against the 76ers historically, even if Joel Embiid is playing at another level right now. So there's still the opportunity for Boston to break through and for everything to go fine. But I do I do think they're going to flounder a little bit until Marcus Smart comes back. And I think that if this year ends yet again in you know, some sort of major disappointment or, um, you know, they get bounced early or something like that. I do think that the move that they're going to look to make is Kemba Walker. I think that that, and I, and again, I don't know who that would be. I'd have to look. I don't know that that would be simple to even do. I don't know that it would necessarily even be possible, but as far as the move, I think they would make, you know, I mean, would the Knicks listen if, if you know, they strike out everywhere else, you know, I, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know. So there are possibilities out there. There are always, there's always, it only takes one team. So, but I think if Boston flounders in the playoffs again, gets bounced early, I think that Kemba Walker is where you're looking. Um, And I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that. Um, I love Kemba. I always have been a believer in him, but I can understand where, the salary kind of makes it a problem. You're paying him so much money again to be your third option. He can't defend the point. I, you know, I understand these things. I love Kemba. Maybe there's a way to figure it out. Um, you know, maybe the thing is you just need to tell Brad Stevens, figure it out. You know, you're a good coach. I don't know. It just, this is, this is something I see on the horizon because again, I just might be wrong. Boston might just figure this thing out, but if it tanks, then I think the eyes will 
point to Kemba. As far as trade rumors and, uh, you know, possibilities come up, here's here's a, a Blundstradamus prediction. I think Kyle Lowry will be traded. So Blundstradamus, that's really fucking stupid, but whatever. I'm stoned all the time anyway. In any case, I think that Kyle Lowry will be traded. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe the Raptors want to see if they can ride the Tampa wave all the way to the finals. You know, the, the, uh, the Lightning won the Stanley Cup. The Rays made the... World Series, the Buccaneers just won, and the Raptors are playing in Tampa Bay, so maybe they want to ride the Tampa wave. I don't know. But I feel like Kyle Lowry is going to be traded. This season isn't going how they wanted. They're not a contender. Um, and I think, you know, you might as well, you know, get a look at what you can get and see if rather than just losing him, you know, you can't get something for him. Now, in a lot of cases, teams may want to just wait and see you know, if they can acquire Kyle Lowry in free agency. But again, a lot of teams are going to have money. It's going to be difficult. He'll have a lot of suitors. It's not a bad idea to get a jump on recruiting him. Um, if you acquire him, you know, you could have his bird rights. You might, you know, theoretically be able to do something with that. You know, I, I, there are different scenarios that I just think if the Raptor season is going nowhere, as good as Kyle Lowry has been, his, he's Mr. Raptor. We saw Tom Brady leave New England. Guys leave. And I just think if the season is going nowhere, you send one of your best players to, you know, you try to work out a deal to send him to a place that's advantageous for you and for him. I came up with a few trades that I thought were interesting. There's really two that I really like. It's difficult. This may end up in him just leaving via free agency because there's not like a perfect trade to be made. And, you know, ultimately, you know, maybe there's a trade that I haven't come up with. It's the one. But I do think that there's a couple that I really kind of like that make sense and they kind of make sense beyond this season. The thing about Kyle Lowry is he's never been the fastest or the strongest. He's just a really damn good player who uses his body, uses angles and was a phenomenal player in the finals in 2019. And I think that Kyle Lowry still has a couple of really good years in him, especially as a veteran presence on a team that's trying to get to the next level or as, you know, a sort of third, fourth option, um, you know, on a contending type team. Um, it's difficult to construct trades for like, you know, the Los Angeles teams. There are trades that exist. Um, but, you know, there are other teams that could get to the next level with a guy like Kyle Lowry there. He already got his ring. He was a key contributor for the Raptors. I don't know how much. You know, only playing for a contending team matters versus money versus not leaving there. You know, I don't know. This is tough. It's These things are all tough to say. But given that the Raptors are already outside of Toronto, they're already in Tampa Bay, you know, you just, you never know what might happen. And so I looked at this and I came up with a few trade ideas that I think make sense. And again, I think they make sense not just for this season, but for at least like two seasons beyond this year. And that's where I'm kind of looking at, you know, with these trades. The first one that I think, this is the one that I think makes the most sense. So the Nuggets have been mentioned a lot in terms of, you know, Bradley Beal trades, and that may still happen. Um, You know, again, like I said, the Nuggets are kind of, you know, could end up on the outside looking in in terms of, you know, the top four this year if things don't break well with some of their players. So they may want to, you know, make a move for Bradley Beal and just, you know, end this discussion altogether. So, you know, that could happen and that that wipes this out. But let's say they don't want to do that. Let's say that the Nuggets decide, okay, we've looked at the deals that people have made for James Harden and, 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 and everyone, and we don't want to pay, 
you know, that sort of price, you know, the Drew Holiday price or something. We want to come up with more of an incremental upgrade um, that won't cost us so much. And I think Kyle Lowry is a guy who fits. If you put Lowry and his leadership and defense next to Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic and you're able to keep Michael Porter Jr., you've really got something going on there. And so the trade that I came up with was Lowry to Denver for Gary Harris, Will Barton, and a 2024 lottery-protected first-round pick. Um, I don't know if you you might need to include another player from the Raptors or waive a player. There could be slight machinations that need to be tweaked a little bit, but that that trade works. The the salaries work for Lowry, Harris, and Will Barton. Um, you know, the Raptors may just need to waive a player to bring those two in. Harris and Barton, you know, they don't have a ton of value, but you're picking up a lottery-protected first-round pick. So you're getting the salaries that match, which you have to make happen in a trade. And for the Raptors, you're getting a first-round pick in the future. It's not a great first-round pick, obviously. But again, the thing is, you know, I, Kyle Lowry has half a season left on his deal. So I don't know, you know, I don't know how many picks are going to be offered to you. And given the Raptors' ability to draft and develop players, you know, getting another first-round pick for a guy that you might lose in a few months is, you know, never horrible. And, you know, let's be honest, Gary Harris and Will Barton aren't terrible. So they are guys that they can plug in, um, you know, as role players next to Fred Van Vliet, who would now be obviously the long-term point guard for the Raptors. And, you know, it works. I mean, is it perfect? No. But I think that... For the Raptors, it allows them to continue to be a good team and it gives them a pick to continue to rebuild. And yeah, I mean, you eat up, you know, some of your cap space. Maybe Denver has to throw in another second round pick. I don't know. But that's a trade that I really like because um, it clears the decks for Denver a little bit. They have, uh, you know, it just makes it clear, you know, who your guys are, um, you know, starting wise. Again, you know, they need to figure out the the three position a little bit but the point is for me you know I don't I don't know how much Barton and Harris are part of what you want to do anyway so this allows you to just you're paying a pick that it's going to be in the 20s to get an upgrade you're not throwing away everything like you would have to do at Bradley Beal I really like this trade I haven't really seen anyone talk about it this is just something that I came up with on my own but I think it's a really good idea I would love to see this happen um I don't know the thing is, is that Denver has talked about so many of the guys that they love being untouchable. They don't want to throw in all of their guys. This is the incremental move that you can make. You have to throw in Harris and you have to throw in Barton. It will hurt them on the wing. Um, I know that that's difficult to deal with, but I mean, you can figure that out. Um, <laughs> you're adding Kyle fucking Lowry, man. <laughs> Michael Porter is going to have to play your full-time three, and you're probably going to have to add someone else somehow. Either, you know, again, expand this trade somehow or acquire a buyout player or something. I understand all those things. But it's a big deal to add a guy who can change your defense in a major way when you need that. And when, you know, Gary Harris and Will Barton haven't exactly been providing what you need there anyway. And again, those two guys for the Raptors, the value is questionable. You know, that's why, you know, they're picking up a first round pick as well. So it just, you know, it's, I think it works as a trade again, maybe it needs to be slightly adjusted, but I really think there's a way to make that work. And I think that it's good for both teams. Another one I like, this one doesn't make as much sense right now. 
Um, it really would only make sense for, again, the next two to three years. But you could trade Evan Fournier and Aaron Gordon for Kyle Lowry. Now, again, injuries make that complicated. The Magic are just so devastated by injuries right now. Um, but it would clear the decks a little bit. It would balance the Magic's roster a little bit. And, I mean, you're talking about Kyle Lowry, Jonathan Isaac, Nikola Vujovic playing on the same team. I mean, you're getting things done with that roster. Now, again, this is only a deal that you make if you intend to keep Kyle Lowry for at least two to three years. But the Magic clearly don't want to suck. They don't want to tank. They want to get better. They still believe in Isaac. And I also think that I think that you could find a way to make Fultz and Lowry work together. You know, I don't think that, you know, I mean, Markel Fultz isn't, still is not a good shooter. Lowry can shoot. And I think that you can find a way to make that to some, I think it would work. And, um, you know, again, this is a roster that's always been heavy on bigs. So if you move Aaron Gordon, you clear it up a little bit. I don't think they really intend to keep Evan Fournier long term. So, you know, I think if you intended to keep Lowry for at least two years, I think this trade makes sense. Um, I don't know that other people will agree with me, but this is a trade that I like because I just think that Lowry, Fultz, you know, Vujovic, Isaac, and then some other, you know, forward wing, whatever, you know, however it worked out, however they shaked it out. Um, I like that team. And I think that Steve Clifford is a good coach. And I think that that team could figure out a way to be a playoff team. And who knows how good. I think it's always a good idea to add veteran championship experience to an up-and-coming roster. And given that the Magic clearly want to hold on to Vujovic and Isaac, I think that Aaron Gordon is the guy that you move. And I think that giving them a stable presence with Kyle Lowry, who can also help develop Fultz, I just I think it's a home run. I think it works. I think you find a way to sign Kyle Lowry for three years. I know that he's older. I understand these things. But look at what's going on in sports right now. Guys aren't, you know, it's, I mean, look at what Chris Paul is doing at age 35. Look at, you know, Kyle Lowry's talent that he still has. Like, I don't, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he's going to suddenly fall off the face of the earth. It's just not how it goes these days. And as our, you know, sports science and training gets better and better, there's no reason to believe that he can't be an effective player, especially, I mean, look at what the magic have had at point guard for years, basically nothing. I mean, no offense to like DJ Augustine and stuff, but they have not had effective point guard play in years. And you're going to tell me that Kyle Lowry can't make a difference. He absolutely can. So I'm all over that idea. I don't know that anyone will agree with me, but yeah, here's a trade that I threw out that Pelicans fans absolutely fucking hated. So they're, they're, they're a hard no, but I think it makes some sense. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, Stan Van Gundy very clearly doesn't intend to lose games. Stan, Gun Stan Van Gundy is not here to lose. Like you can tell in the way that the Pelicans are being coached and the way they run their roster, they're not trying to lose anymore. You don't hire Stan Van Gundy if you're trying to tank and you don't. I mean, you know, there have been times the ringer was talking about the time that, you know, that it was the ringer NBA show. It was. Uh, Vernon and KOC were talking about one of the times that, um, you know, Stan had just benched Zion because his defense was so terrible and, you know, how he was treating him in relation to defense. You know, those things aren't what losing teams do. You know, the Pelicans want to win. And regardless of the Drew Holiday trade, um, you know, the simple fact of the matter is that they want to improve they want to get better. They want to find ways to get playoff experience for their young team. You know, that you need to have a mix of veterans and and 
and young kids. And, you know, you can sit here and say, oh, well, they tra- they traded away Drew Holiday. They don't want to have veterans. Well, they didn't intend to extend Drew Holiday and they didn't want to lose him for nothing. And they were able to get a bounty of picks for him. So it made sense. If they don't intend to keep Lonzo Ball, then why not trade him and Eric Bledsoe and a couple of picks for Lowry? Now, here's my logic on this. The picks would be a Milwaukee first rounder, which is... um a 2025 first round pick, which is going to be back into the first round and a 2021 Washington second, which is going to be top end of the second round. Here's my logic on this trade. Pelicans fans hated it. Why would we trade our starting backcourt? Okay. Well, number one, Eric Bledsoe is not getting you anywhere. Okay. Um, I think that everyone is well aware that, you know, especially when it comes to the playoffs, I mean, I'm sorry, but as a Suns fan who watched Eric Bledsoe fold, and then as we watched Eric Bledsoe sort of fall apart, with the Bucks and high leverage playoff situations. I mean, he's, he's okay. He's fine, but he's not that good of a player and he doesn't really help you win. And the contract that he's on really doesn't have positive trade value. It basically has negative trade value. You have to make the dollars work in these trades. So if you're the Raptors, like I have no interest in taking on Eric Bledsoe. The contract that I'm interested in is getting Lonzo ball now. So right there, you're telling me that I'm taking on Eric Bledsoe I'm getting Lonzo Ball for the, you know, taking on Eric Bledsoe. Then I still got to get something for Lowry. The Milwaukee pick doesn't have much value. Washington's pick, again, will be high in the second round, which is almost like a first round pick. So, again, it has some value. My thing is that Eric Bledsoe just has almost no trade value. Maybe the Washington pick is too much of an addition. You know, I don't know. But if the Pelicans don't intend to sign Lonzo Ball, and I, again, maybe they have changed their mind on Lonzo. They seem to go back and forth. But why not use Lonzo to get rid of another bad contract that you have and then use a couple of maybe two second round picks, whatever it takes to get Lowry. Pelicans fans were like, why wouldn't we why would we trade our starting backcourt for an older player that doesn't fit our timeline and give up picks, blah, 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 blah. Well, number one, you have more picks than you know what to fucking do with. Okay, you're not going to all of those players are not going to be on your roster. You can't pick a billion players and hold a billion players on your roster. You have to use them for something. Number two, again, Eric Bledsoe does not have positive trade value. When the Bucks extended Eric Bledsoe, all of us were like, huh? And then it predictably went poorly for them. And then he was salary dumped to the Pelicans in a trade to acquire Drew Holiday. And it's not like he has long-term aspirations of being the Pelicans starting point guard or something. That's not like how this is going to go. He's just, again, he was there because the salaries matched. And if you don't intend to keep Lonzo Ball and you're just going to let him walk, then why not upgrade at point guard and bring in someone who actually fits what you want to do? Then start, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker or Josh Hart next to Kyle Lowry and or JJ Redick, if you want to, whatever, you know, Redick is fading. But my point is that they have plenty of guys. Uh, the Pelicans honestly have too many guys. So you might as well consolidate that. Now, again, I understand the whole, well, there are some, but they're not good. They're not that good. If you want to keep Lonzo Ball, if you're the Pelicans, then this is a different scenario. But they were not that close on contract negotiations. And there's going to be money this summer. Teams you know, there are idiot teams out there. If you're not interested in playing the money game, why not get someone for him who, again, helps make you better, helps your team learn to win. And again, now you acquire the bird rights for Kyle Lowry. You can figure something out for your team for the foreseeable future. I just think it's a good move for them. Maybe, you know, 
you have to learn to win at some point. And again, I understand that Kyle Lowry would be spending his twilight with a team that doesn't really have as much of a chance of winning. But we all believe in Brandon Ingram as a superstar. We all believe that Zion is an interior force as an offensive player. Like, why aren't we trying to teach them to win? What are you trying to do? You're not going to be bad enough to get like the number one pick. You're probably not going to, you know, luck into that kind of thing. You need to learn to win at some point. And this is what James Jones came in and did with the Suns is he tried to make everyone realize that you can sit here on this treadmill of garbage and well, we're going to get a top pick. Well, we're going to get a top pick. It doesn't matter if no one teaches you to win. The Pelicans need to learn to win. No matter how much talent they have, they do not know how to win and they have not been able to learn it. And Kyle Lowry is a guy who comes in and changes that. Look at what Derek Favors did for them last year. Look at how good they were when Derek Favors played versus when he didn't. It was a huge difference. Kyle Lowry makes that same damn difference. And I don't care what anyone thinks. This is a smart trade. They have so many picks. There's so many. Who fucking cares? You're, you're not going to miss them. They're not even likely to be premium picks. And again, you have to pay. Look at it as paying the two picks to get up, to give up Eric Bledsoe, and then you're trading Lonzo Ball for Kyle Lowry. I mean, I'm just sorry. That's how NBA trade value works. I didn't think that the Suns were going to include a first-round pick for Chris Paul because no one else was willing to, and they still did it. Because the simple fact of the matter is that the Thunder weren't giving up Chris Paul without a first-round pick. They just weren't going to do it. They were just like, no, I'll just keep him, whatever. He's really good with Che Gil, just Alexander. We'll just go back to the playoffs. We don't care. And that was probably not true, but the Suns wanted Chris Paul. So you pay the price. And this is the price. That's what I think. Now, these next three... I want to be very clear. These next three are not going to happen. I think Kyle Lowry to the Nuggets could and should happen, but these next three will not. But I feel obligated to mention them because I was able to construct trades for them and I want to make everyone hate me. In any case, here's the one that makes both Toronto and San Antonio want to punch me in the face if I had... um fans in either of those cities. And that is Lowry for DeRozan straight up. <laughs> the money fits. <laughs> DeRozan goes back home to Toronto. Fred Van Vliet becomes the starting point guard of the future. He's suited up. He, you know, we all know how good Van Vliet is. It gives Toronto more of an offensive punch that they don't have because they've got so many defenders right now. And it gives San Antonio uh, you know, some defensive minded guys in the backcourt, which, you know, they have a couple of already, but the DeRozan minutes have been so bad for them that, you know, just finding a way to get rid of those. Plus, we all know that Pop would love Kyle Lowry. I mean, come on. This would never happen. You know, the Spurs really have too many guys in the backcourt anyway, but it just, the money fits and it just, I had to mention it. It just, it, it would be funny as hell. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if like, both, if like Lowry got the notification he was traded to Toronto or to, to, to San Antonio and DeMar got the notification he was traded to Toronto and they're both like, we get to play with, I get to play with DeMar again. I get to play with Kyle again. And then they find out they've been traded for each other. Like that would be the most, the cruelest of cruel. Those two are such good friends in real life. And that would be the cruelest of cruel things. Side note, here's my little paranoid theory, by the way. I think I mentioned this before. Yeah, I did. I just I think the Raptors with Demar and Nick Nurse would have gone farther than people realized. I think I mentioned that before. In any case, Lowry for DeRozan straight up will never happen, but it could, 
and it's interesting. Everyone seems to be focused on the idea of finding a way to get Kyle Lowry into the Battle of L.A. And so I went and looked to try to figure out a way to do that. There are ways to, you could probably construct a trade, by the way, of like Tobias Harris for Kyle Lowry. Those trades can be constructed if you're, you know, Philadelphia and you're um, the Raptors. But the thing is, is those two teams are, I mean, they're going to be competing with each other for a long time. I find it a little hard to believe that the Raptors would take on Tobias Harris unless they got incredible draft pick capital for doing so. They don't want to take on that money. Tobias Harris is a good player, but he's really only succeeded under Doc Rivers. I don't think they want to necessarily take that on. Plus, that would help Philadelphia. Like, I don't think they're trying to help Philadelphia. Like, that trade kind of makes sense for from a few perspectives, but I, don't, I just don't – I don't – I don't really necessarily see Masai doing that. Um, there's no real way to make a Lowry for Beal trade that makes any sort of sense. Um, looking at Miami, there are some trades that make sense, but you'd have to like put Goran Dragic in a trade package for Lowry, which, you know, maybe Miami would do that. You know, they've been cutthroat at times, but... They also love their guys. I, I don't know. It, it's it's possible. You know, there are trade packages that work, but a lot of other people, I it's, I find it a little harder to believe that Masai Ujiri is going to trade Kyle Lowry to uh, one of his biggest rivals in the East that could theoretically come back to haunt them, you know, against a retooled Raptors team, you know, one or two years from now. I, it seems... Far-fetched. It's not impossible. But there are trades out there that, that work. Again, you know, Tobias Harris, there's there's a Miami trade that works with something like, you know, again, Dragic and Olenek, and you have to find some, you know, form of picks that, that make sense. Um, I don't, I don't, just for whatever reason, you know, Masai Ujiri, he dealt, you know, DeMar DeRozan to, you know, the Spurs. And I know it was to acquire, acquire Kawhi Leonard, sure, but he still sent DeMar out of, the um the Eastern Conference when he traded Rudy Gay, you know he sent him to the King like you know he he sent him to the Kings like he just you know he sends his guys to the Western Conference when he's getting rid he doesn't want his he shows a history of not wanting his guys to come back and burn him so it just for me I would find it weird that Masai Jerry trades Kyle Lowry to Miami I'm not saying it can't happen I just for whatever reason, my gut tells me it won't happen. I'd be I'd be shocked if it did. And I see a lot of people talking about him being traded into the sort of Battle of Los Angeles. And it doesn't make there's not a ton of trades that work, but there are a couple. And here's sort of what I came up with. These again won't happen. But this is this is the gymnastics you would have to go through to get Kyle Lowry onto the Lakers or the Clippers. So to get Kyle Lowry to the Lakers, you would have to trade something like Lowry, Terrence Davis, Matt Thomas, and Malachi Flynn. To the Lakers for Dennis Schroeder, Kyle Kuzma, Taylor Horton Tucker, and KCP. Now, that's a fucking home run trade for the Raptors, okay? If the Raptors could somehow mind trick the Lakers into doing that, you do that trade every time because Schroeder's a starting point guard. Kuzma is a nice role player on a decent contract. And I think THT is going to be really fucking good. I've said a bunch of times that I think Taylor Horton Tucker could end up being like the Lakers' third star. And I like KCP, quite honestly, again, on a decent contract. So that works, though. That that money works, and it puts Kyle Lowry with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, again, it 
I mean, it doesn't necessarily deplete the Lakers roster because you're upgrading Schroeder to Lowry. And then, you know, Kuzma, THT, and KCP, these are all good players. They're decent players. Terrence Davis, Matt Thomas, and Malachi Flynn, they're worse. But you're upgrading at one spot. You know, you're hurting your bench. I don't know what the, you know, the trade machine has its increase or decrease in wins. But if you wanted to get Kyle Lowry to the Lakers, this is what you'd have to do. Because the Lakers don't really have picks to trade. So you've got to find a way to incentivize the Raptors. And, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker could be, you know, a really good player a few years from now who fits next to Fred Van Vliet. So you do that every damn time. And Kyle Kuzma also fits um, in their system. And he could take a more expanded role with the Raptors, even though he doesn't necessarily want that at this point. I mean, the trade works. If the, if the Lakers really, really wanted Kyle Lowry and think that he has three years left to be a championship point guard in, as a third option for them, the trade works. I'm not saying they would do it, but it would reunite Lowry with Gasol. You get to keep Montrez Harrell. You know, it's it, it it doesn't it doesn't destroy the Lakers or anything like that. They would still need to figure out whether the guys that they acquired could play for them at all, or whether they needed to cut them and add veterans or something. But you could. This is the gymnastics that it would take to make this trade work. And if the Lakers were somehow obsessed with the idea of adding Kyle Lowry, this is this is how it would have to happen. Again, this won't occur. But in a scenario in which the Lakers were obsessed with acquiring Kyle Lowry in order to be, you know, to have that guaranteed piece or something, this is literally what it would take. Um, as for the Clippers, <laughs> I mean, again, I understand the... I fully understand how ridiculous this trade sounds, but again, actually, you know, you can't just build whatever trade you want. You have to follow the rules. By the way, a few of these trades that I mentioned, um, specifically the, uh, the, I think the, um, this most recent Lakers trade because of recent contract signings and things like that, some of them couldn't be done immediately. So you may have to wait a couple of months till like after February to do some of these trades. So there are certain restrictions, that may need to be applied. They would eventually work though. All of these would work as we, you know, approach the trade deadline. So, you know, that's the scenario where it's more likely to occur. So all of them would be available. And then in any case, this is the trade that would work for the Clippers. And again, the gymnastics here are ridiculous, but this is what it would be. It would be Lowry, Aaron Baines, and Terrence Davis to the Clippers for Pat Beverly, Lou Williams, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, a 2027 first and like some second round picks because none of those contracts really that the, the Raptors would be taking on would have good value. Save for Marcus Morris. They might want him, but you've got to take on other guys you don't necessarily want. That 2027 first is a long way away. And so again, maybe some seconds on top to make it all work because, um, you know, again, Lowry is, is the best player in the trade. And of course, the other thing is that the Raptors would have to probably waive two players to make it work. So, you know, in order for them to do that, again, they need to be compensated for all these things. Now, again, this trade can't be completed for a few weeks because of recent signing restrictions with Marcus Morris. That may be the one that had the majority of, of recent signing restrictions. But in any case, the point is that trade would never happen. The the amount of shakeup, you know, to, the, to each roster, it would just be too much. But that's the gymnastics that it would take to get you know, these, this guy into, you know, the battle of Los Angeles. And that's what I'm also saying about the heat. It's like, you've got to trade one of your most important guys and you've got to trade a role player and you've got to find a way to acquire a bunch of picks for a guy that you might then lose. And then you're, you know, you don't want to, you know, the, the, the heat don't want to tie up future money for Kyle Lowry. So it just doesn't, 
you know, Kyle Lowry's not going to take a pay cut for Miami, but Goran Dragic might. So just, you know, there's, there's, there are a lot of factors in all of these things. And that's why I just think the most likely scenario would be, you know, to the Nuggets. I, I think that the Nuggets can find a way to shore up the wing if they make that trade. Um, maybe there's a way that Boston could flip Kemba for Lowry um, and, you know, sort of find a way with some picks to incentivize Toronto. That might be something that would work. Um, you know, Lowry in a scenario playing next to Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. You know, that's a phenomenal team. That's a great trade. But again, you're you're asking Masai Ujiri to trade, you know, his number one guy into a rival where he can be effective for two to three more. It just seems really unlikely. I think it's way more likely if the Raptors trade Kyle Lowry that he's going to the West. And I think if it happens, I think the Nuggets trade makes the most sense. And that's the Blunt Doctor Show. I hope that you enjoy it. Please like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends. And if you want to come on and tell me what a bitch I am and how terrible I am at everything, please, let's link up and do so. Because I don't mind telling you what a bitch you are and how you know nothing compared to me. And then we'll high five and share a blunt. Because that's just how it is on the Blunt Doctor Show. It's all about... ESPN style arguing with no one at this point for me, but nonetheless, and then FS1 style smoking weed after the show because there's no way that anyone who works on FS1 is sober. Peace be to you and yours. Love everyone around you. Please be safe. Wear a mask. Social distance. Use hand sanitizer. Not liberally, but judiciously. Let's make a better world for all of ourselves in 2021. Peace.